The Road to Rediscovery is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me ask you something. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, for me growing up, feelings of anxiety, inadequacy, doubt, and even imposter syndrome got in the way uh, of me reaching my goals and reaching my full potential, right? So BetterHelp addresses these and more. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and, get this, financial aid is even available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. They mean it. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Road to Rediscovery. That's Better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And there's a special offer for our Road to Rediscovery listeners. Get 10% off your first month when you register at BetterHelp.com slash Road to Rediscovery. We're all on this journey of life together. And it sure feels good to know professional help is within our reach with BetterHelp. Again, that's Better H-E-L-P. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Our lives are laid out on a road of bumps, turns, struggles, and more. How do we respond? How do we endure adversity for learning and growth? I'm Aubrey Johnson, and we'll explore these questions and more on the Roads Rediscovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Roads Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson. The Road to Rediscovery is about reflecting on life lessons to learn and grow from them, and of course, take it to the next level and help others who are struggling through dark times. Now, as you all know, on the Road to Rediscovery, we are very, very passionate about delivering quality content in every single episode. So if you like what you hear and you'd like to support, just visit roadtorediscovery.com slash support. That's road, the number two, rediscovery.com slash support. We'll even give you a shout out on a future episode. And as always, there's no obligation. We are truly, truly grateful for your listenership. My special guest is a professional ultra endurance athlete with 25 years experience running the toughest endurance events in the world. The world. She's also a motivational speaker, a run coach, and a mindset expert. Over the years, she's had to overcome her own struggles with self-esteem, body image, depression, fear, and, and, and more. And on her podcast, Pushing the Limits, she covers running, health, nutrition, among many other things. She's even authored multiple books, including her newest book, Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds, where she chronicles the amazingly tough journey with her mother suffering from an aneurysm and stroke navigating through it all to return to a quality of life far from the dire prognosis of her doctors. We're going to talk about this journey and more. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me pleasure to welcome 
Lisa Tamati to the show. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Aubrey. I'm just so stoked to be on your, your amazing show. You're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to dig in. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm equally excited to, to dig into this conversation. So um, let's just start things off by sharing with the, the listeners your, your, your love of running. Like how early and, and, and how did you how did you get into running um, you know, in the very early stages of your life? <laughs> the funny story is, Aubrey, I'm absolutely hopeless as a runner. I have no talent, genetically speaking. Um, and I was an asthmatic as a, as, a, as a child, like in and out of hospital, very severe asthmatic. So I, I didn't have a great lung capacity, mm. <laughs> very small lung capacity, very uh, poor VO2 max. Oh, wow. and, and so what this meant is I didn't really have any speed at all. But I was one mm-hmm. of those kids that wanted to, you know, I, I really wanted to 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 please my dad for one yes. thing. My dad was this amazing athlete and and in a in a real tough man and you know really cool. He was a firefighter and and, oh, wow. and you know little girls want to impress their dad, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he 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 really wanted me to represent New Zealand in something. So. Uh, as a kid, I was uh, a gymnastic uh, in gymnastics actually, and mm-hmm. I, I did pretty well in gymnastics. I was doing okay, and then I sort of hit puberty, right? <laughs> <laughs> puberty sort of hit me full in the face, and and mm-hmm. I grew too tall and too big, and you know, uh-huh. um, and this is you know this was a time in my life when I was a young lady turning into a young lady and mm-hmm. uh, getting curves as you do, and being right. told that I was fat basically, because gymnasts have to be tiny, they have to be small, yeah, they shouldn't be tall. I mean, I couldn't really do much about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all of these sorts of things, you know, were going mm-hmm. on in my teenage years. And so that really shaped me in, in, a, in a lot of ways, actually, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. I was battling with my, my self-esteem, my body image, yeah. I, you know, um, being told every week by the coach that you're fat when you're not fat. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, you're just a, a perfectly healthy young lady you know mm-hmm. um all of that sort of stuff really sort of screwed with my mind and 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 really sort of affected me so at the age of 15 I gave up gymnastics and mm-hmm. that was much to the disappointment of my dad you know my mm, dad sort yes. of, uh, was like but you were just about to break through and you were just you know <laughs> you were that close and I knew that I wasn't right <laughs> right 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 <laughs> um and so that was like oh no what else can I do and then I took up surfing and yeah. I have two younger brothers, and we all started surfing, and mm-hmm. we live in a beautiful place with great surf. And I was miserable at that too, Aubrey. Really? <laughs> very, very passionate <laughs> about it. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I trained, and I didn't really – and there, were, there weren't that many girls doing it, so I thought, wow, I might better be really good at this. But, yeah, nah, I was not. Yeah. You gave <laughs> um, it a go. Well, I gave it a go for many yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so so running wasn't even on my radar. Running was something that I did to try to stay fit and to keep my weight down, right? Um, gotcha, so it was gotcha. no, never a passion or anything. It was more the thing that you had to do, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then along came in my early, so this is now my early 20s, very early 20s, mm-hmm. um, a young gentleman from Austria who was cycling through our com- country and uh, on a bike tour, and he mm-hmm. climbed our local mountain and got hit by an avalanche, and he was lost for three days, and he was, you know, quite badly injured. Mm-hmm. And my mum had met him the day before he'd gone up the mountain and had said to him, "You be careful, young man, up that mountain. It's very dangerous." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when he was lost, and and she was, you know, like, "Oh my gosh, this poor 
young guy and they yeah. found him and and he had a very badly broken leg and you know it was lucky Ooh. to survive and so on. and so mum being my mum she raced up to the hospital to say you know look after him and um, make sure that he had someone in New Zealand because he was all on his own to care for him. And so uh, I was home from university on my summer holidays then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I met this young man, and we fell in love, and, you know, uh, it, was, it was wonderful. He looked like Brad Pitt, by the way. <laughs> oh, um, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, I thought so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, we spent uh, a number of years traveling around the world. So he was from Austria. I ended up going over to Austria. Yeah. And... Um, we, we, we cycled around many, many countries. We climbed mountains and kayaked and canoed and trekked everywhere and so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Um, and this was a wonderful, I'd never been out of the country. Um, but it, 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 to, put it, to make a very long story short, he was a very abusive person. Mm. And this turned into an abusive relationship, which was an unfortunate and you know, very young. No, yeah. no reflection on who he is today, I'm sure. Right, but right, at, right. As, a, as a young man, he was had his own issues and... Mm. Uh, very controlling relationship and mm. um, so over time we were very much in an isolated bubble just the two of us you know cycling around and doing our yeah. thing mm-hmm. and this became very insular and I had no sort of help from outside I was living in a foreign country I I didn't speak the language for starters you know um, so I was very isolated I'd lost you know back in those days you couldn't just ring home you know no, it cost right, a lot of right. money <laughs> yeah. there's no Skype back then there was yeah. no Zoom, no um, Zoom. And, and um this sort of culminated after five years we ended up doing the crossing of uh, the Libyan desert this was a, a four-person expedition across mm-hmm. uh, a military barred zone so we weren't allowed to be there um most incredibly beautiful desert on earth <clears throat> and we um, we're doing this now. This was the, the brainchild of, of a guy called Elvis, <laughs> not yeah. Elvis Presley, and Elvis from uh, Yugoslavia, actually a, survive, a survival expert. And he'd dreamt of crossing this desert for 20 years. He'd been there 20 years earlier, and he wanted to do a complete crossing of this of this desert. And so he invited us along. And um, this was extreme. Like we're talking 250 kilometers. So in miles, I don't know what that is in miles, 180 or something like that. Right, right. Bloody long way. Um, and we had no outside help, no water en route. So we had to carry our entire water supplies. My and goodness. so we had backpacks. Well, the guys had 40 kilos. I had 35 kilo backpack. Mm-hmm. So that included 20 liters of water, which was our complete ration for the entire trip, right? Right, we right. had to carry that. And like I weigh, and pounds, I think, you know, about 120 pounds or something, 125, yeah. so 58, yeah. 59 kilos. Um, and so this backpack was two-thirds of my body weight, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and wow. I remember being in Cairo, in Cairo uh-huh. and, and putting this backpack on for the first time and going, oh, God, oh my God, <laughs> I am in trouble, you know, like I could hardly walk across yeah. the bedroom. Oh, my gosh. And so if I fell over or whatever, I could not get up. If I sat down, I couldn't get up without, oh my without, without support. And yeah. this was a military bar area. So we had to hop on a, on a bus and we drove 12 hours south of Cairo to this little oasis. Oh my. We got out of this oasis and then mm-hmm. we had to disappear into the desert. Now, there was a military base there and it was legal to go into the desert because this mm-hmm. was on the border between Egypt and, and Libya, which wasn't really a safe place to, <laughs> to be wandering right. around. And no. um, <laughs> So we had to wait for nightfall and we had disappeared into the desert and um, started our trek. And we had to cover 45 kilometers a day and Mm. with these huge great backpacks and temperatures of around 40 degrees during the day. Excuse me. 
and and in temperatures that were really cold at night, you know, so you had this huge big changes as you do in deserts. And we were meant to be doing a book, you know, taking photos for a book. Um, my partner was a photographer and he wanted to take the photos. And Elvis said, well, you can take the photos all you like, but we have to cover 45 kilometers a day whereas we're not going to survive, so you have to keep up, right? Right. And so um, the boyfriend said, well, you, you're going to help me set up tripods and do this. And I'm, you know, I'm like barely <laughs> moving forward, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so this ended up being a big, I can't do it, and, you know, and him calling me useless, as he always did, and you're mm. hopeless and you can't do anything and you're blah, 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 you blah. Yeah, and yeah. this was the first time we'd ever been with other people. And Elvis saw this and he was like, hang on a minute. You can't talk to her like that. That's not right. You know? Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, she, you know, she's already on the limits. Leave her alone type of thing. And so it ended mm -hmm. up for the next couple of days, this big, you know, crash between these two alpha males, if you like. Sure, sure. And I was in the middle. Um, <clears throat> and it, it was a, a pretty rough, <laughs> rough ride. So we were walking five, 45K a day extremely dehydrated because we mm -hmm. only had two liters of water a day. So the dehydration started to hit really, really fast. Kids don't do this at home. Okay. This was really stupid. <laughs> <right? laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and on day, day four, um, this, the, the, the tensions in the group were just, you know, huge. And, and to be fair, we were all suffering really bad from the dehydration. Yeah. And if you can imagine like your tongue's swollen, your mouth's dry all the time. You're just oh like, you just, dying yeah. for water and you yeah, can't drink yeah. during the day because it just sweats out so you had to sort of take most of your ration at night time when it was cooler so it could get into your cells and stuff sure anyway sure. so it ends up with this big fight between us and um uh the partner says to me on day four this is an after a five-year relationship he said that's it the relationship's over i'm leaving and oh he disappeared you know packed up his stuff and disappeared over the the sand dunes now at that point i didn't know whether I was going to survive because we were really, really bad shape. Yeah. I didn't know if he was going to survive on his own out there. There was no oh one to come and help. No. And, and of course, the emotional turmoil of my partnership, my, my, oh, my sure. partner is leaving yeah. me and I'm yeah. falling to pieces as you do, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then I'm like, hang on a minute. I, I can't fall to pieces right now. I'm in the middle of the desert and I can't afford to cry and I can't afford to lose all That's this right. emotional energy. I've That's got right. to. And so in that moment, Aubrey, I learned to really compartmentalize things, to be able to function and then put the grief, the, the the sadness, the whatever was going to come afterwards, the mess, yeah. till later. Because I had yeah. I, I owed it to the other guys, right, to get up yeah. and keep going. And I owed it to myself to, you know, focus all my energy on doing that. And so I, I learned to pull myself together. And mm -hmm. um, I had to let him go. I had to let, you know, thinking, worrying, all of that sort of stuff go. And I focused solely and I said to the other two guys, you know, you're not going to have any more problems with me. I promise we're just going <laughs> to, you know. Yeah. And we made a great team, the, the rest of us. And we we powered through the mm. next four days. And we went through really tough times. And, yeah. you know, it's all in my first book, Running Hot, this, the, that chronicles that whole story of, of how we nearly didn't make it. But we, we, yeah. we survived. But this was a turning point in my life, Aubrey, where I said, you know, my self-esteem at that point was about as low as you can possibly get. Um, I thought I was just useless and hopeless and never going to amount to anything. And, uh, you know, my boyfriend had left me. I was, you know, the country that I was living in, I was, I didn't want to go home because I felt like a failure. So I was in this limbo state. Mm -hmm. 
And, and it was a really low point in my life. And it was a point where I, you know, and it took me a long time to get over it. But eventually I said to myself, no one's ever going to treat me like that again. And right. I'm, I am not that person, right? Right, right. And so, <clears throat> so I'm getting to the, the cracks of your question, which was how did you get into running? Yeah, um, yeah. So, a couple of, so it took me a couple of years to recover. Uh, both physically and mentally. I think mentally I'm still recovering, but anyway, um, <laughs> the physical part, I had, you know, a lot of damage to my kidneys and my all the nerves in my upper body wouldn't work and I was, you know, pretty bad shape. When I recovered from that, I was reading in a magazine one day about a race called the Marathon de Sables. I was still living in Austria. And the Marathon de Sables is a famous ultra marathon in Morocco. And it was touted at that time as being the toughest race on earth. And uh, it, it was 240 kilometers odd and across the Moroccan Sahara. And, and it had all the support. You had nine liters of water a day. You had doctors. You had journalists. You, you know, it was this big thing. And, I, and it was touted as the toughest thing. And I was like, hmm, hang on a minute. This, this is the same distance as what I did in the Libyan desert with no support. I get nine liters of water a day. I don't have a partner who's telling me I'm useless all the time. I reckon I can do this, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even run a marathon or anything at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but I just signed up for this. I had done a lot of trekking. <laughs> I hadn't done any running uh, much. I signed up for this race, and yeah. I managed to get sponsors. And I, and I went down to this race, and it was just the most incredible experience of my life. It was tough, but it That's wasn't. Awesome. You know, it wasn't like oh, you know, as tough as some of the stuff I'd done with with the ex partner. Sure, and sure. I, I was surrounded by by people who were positive, and I yes. was surrounded by all everybody who was on the singular mission to get through each day, and right, how they right. would help each other, and we'd support each other and pull each other up when we were down, yes. and we had this wonderful camaraderie, and yes. there was. If you picture like 700 runners, now it's much bigger, but 700 runners from all around the world, and they're all in tents of eight runners, and it was like the United Nations coming together on this big mission, right? It was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and every day you're fighting through the sandstorms and the sand dunes and the dehydration and the, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you, you get through and your, your tent mates would be, you know, picking you up and, looking, you know, telling you how wonderful and, and I just blossomed in that environment because I just so needed somebody to tell me yes. I was doing well right yes yes <laughs> and so I I just loved it so I did that race I did really well I actually you know uh, I came in the top uh, top uh, 10 woman of, of the race and I was mm. doing which was pretty bloody good for a rookie right yeah yeah very good thing. excellent and, yeah and the thing was I, I still wasn't a great runner, but I just knew how to push and I knew how to keep going over long, long distances because I'd done a lot of trekking and stuff. Right. And so after that, I had, I was like, oh, bring this on, man. I, I Give me the next ultra marathon. I'm out yeah. there. So, yeah. so from then, I just was addicted, of course, to this experience and going mm -hmm. one, after, one after the other after the other. And 25 years later, here wow. we are. Here we are. Man, <laughs> that is tremendous. My goodness. I mean, um, to 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 get indoctrined, I guess you can say, in your first endurance, um, the way you explained it in in the desert, um, my, I mean, it was a double whammy, right? Because it wasn't just the natural elements of the heat and the terrain that uh, was a challenge and an obstacle for you, but 
the organizational obstacles as well, right? The uh, the, the the battle zones and and areas yeah. politically that are like uh, not safe to be in. Oh and yeah, dangerous sort of to so, take. <laughs> so if you can if you can take that plus the emotion the emotional turmoil that you went through, you know, in losing your partner in that in that experience, then you know you take all that out of the equation for another endurance uh, event, and of course you'll you'll knock that one right out the park, you know. <laughs> yeah, but basically yeah. it was. I think yeah. you know, it, was a, it was a rebirth in a way. It was like finally, and I started to That's through wonderful. running, yeah, re, re reconnect with who you know my confidence and start to build who I was, and it made right. me stronger. And you know what? When you go through these tough times, Aubrey, when you when you you know when when you're in the middle of it, it's awful, right? It's awful. But when you come out the other side of it and you've had time to recover and to reflect on what happened and yes. look back, you yes. know, everything is you 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 realize that that made you tougher, stronger, more capable. Yes. And and then the next challenge that comes along, you're able to handle that better. Um, and, and this goes on. It's, you know, what doesn't break you makes you stronger, is the right. saying. As the and, saying goes, right. And it can break you, you know, like there, yeah. there are things in my life that I've experienced since that have nearly broken mm -hmm. me. Um, mm. and, and at times I feel quite, you know, like <laughs> there are little bits that are broken. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I think, you know, most of the time you come out stronger from these experiences and it lifts your horizon as to what you're capable of. And then you, then you risk a little bit more and you, you, you know, you lift your eyes, the horizon gets a little bit further away and you can right. tackle another thing and another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and this translates fully over into business, over into yes, your personal life, over yes, into your relationships. And, and this is the value. Like for me, running isn't about running. For me, mm -hmm. running is about the road to rediscovery, mm. really. You know? I love it. It, it yeah. really is. The, your, the title of your show is a good analogy for that because you are finding out who you are when you're pushing through these hard times, when you're having to overcome massive amounts of pain or, or whatever it is that you're dealing with and you're keeping going, <clears throat> you find out who you are on the inside. And, and sometimes that, you know, can be so, so useful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it truly can, you know, and, and, and you are finding out who you are on the other side, as they say, right. Um, it, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's tough to go through. And like you said, at the time that you're going through it, um, <laughs> I'm sure there's many other places that you, <laughs> you want to be, prefer to be and be right. So, um, but receiving that feeling in your heart and in your spirit on the other side, um, after pushing yourself, you've gone this far. Okay. How about a little further? How about a little further? How about a little further in increments? Right. And, and realize, wow, I've, I've come this far, you know, mm. way beyond anything I thought I was capable of. And it sounds like that's, that's what you, that's what you went Absolutely. through. Yep. Wow. So Lisa, I want to, I want for us to kind of, kind of quickly go through, um, uh, I'd love to hear about, uh, relentless and the mm -hmm. story with you and your mother. And, yep. and and then I want to I want to talk about the great work that you're doing in helping others as a mindset coach, um, and, uh, and 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 endurance expert. Yeah, and health and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is another bit of a big story. So. <laughs> um, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so six years ago, my mum, who, you know, had been the rock of my world, the most amazing mother you could possibly imagine, always supported me through all the crazy stuff that I'd done and, you know, just mm-hmm. this wonderful woman. And um, mm-hmm. she had a – but she'd always she, she'd always put everybody else first, right? She'd always been that person who didn't worry about her own health and fitness or anything because right. she was always looking after her kids, even when, yeah. she, even when they were 40 or 50, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, unfortunately, she had an aneurysm uh, six years ago. And so the, when this happened, <clears throat> we had a medical misadventure from the get-go. So the ambulance driver who picked her up, she collapsed on the floor and uh, and um, taken her to the hospital. He thought that she was having either a stroke or an aneurysm or something neurological was going on. And he told the doctor this, but unfortunately, the doctor decided to ignore it and thought she was having a migraine. Mm. And so for six hours, I'm in the emergency room with my mum. My mum's in excruciating pain. I know oh, that some, this is not a migraine. I knew it wasn't a migraine, right, but right. I didn't know what it was and I didn't know what to ask for. So I'm sitting there. And as you do when you're in the medical setting, you're sort of intimidated, right? Yeah. You, you don't know what's going on. You're frightened. You, you, you've you got someone who's really sick and you think the doctors would know what they're doing right so you don't right. say anything and you just hope someone's going to help you right and this went on for hour after hour after hour and i was getting more and more desperate and then i thought oh hang on a minute i've got my friend megan a, um, a lady who's a paramedic uh, a friend of mine and she'd crewed for me and all over the world and become an ultra runner herself and we've done lots of adventures together and i said can you please come up here because you know the hospital system you know the people up here they're not listening to me something's massively wrong right, and so right. she raced up and she took one look at mum and said oh she's having a stroke or an aneurysm there's something mm. going on she'd go straight to the doctor and you know, she's a very strong jiu-jitsu lady so she, you know the doctor <laughs> was told in no uncertain terms you get this lady a ct scan now <laughs> right right yeah, yeah. <laughs> or else you know and, or else uh, that's right <laughs> and um so after six <clears throat> hours of waiting we finally got the ct scan and that came back with blood right throughout the brain. She'd had a massive bleed. Um, and then they started to move. And, of course, this was oh, sure. horrific for us. And at that point, they were they were saying to me, look, we don't think she's going to survive, um, but we'll take her through to the Wellington Hospital where we have a neurological unit because in our small town we didn't have one. Right. And, and I remember my dad coming over to me and saying, you know, we better start planning the funeral, you know, and they've been married for 50 years. And... Oh, wow. um, and and I remember grabbing my dad as as, as many as a, a, a friends had done for me in ultra marathons when I was really you know down and like yeah. I can't I can't carry on type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I grabbed my dad and I you know I hugged him and I shook him and I said, Dad, we, this is not over. <laughs> and, <I'm, laughs> and I am not. I, I'm whatever. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring her back. And yeah. here's the jobs I want you to do. So when people are in a stress and an emergency situation, you give them jobs because that turns off that panic response and you give them jobs to do. And I want you to get down to Wellington, get my brothers, get auntie so-and-so, do this, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. And so he jumped in behind me and, you know, started to get everything organized, my brothers and and, and he, you know, raced down to Wellington and I stayed with my mum for the next 12 hours. We had to wait for the air ambulance. Because, um, you know, when you're older, you often get bumped down the list as being not quite so important. Sure, yeah. It took 18 hours to get into surgery and to have a stink put in where they start to drain the blood off. And by now, massive damage is done to the brain. They don't think she's going to survive. Somehow she pulls through the next couple of days. She's really touch and go, but somehow she's still going. Um, She's in and out of a coma at this point. And 
and and and because of this medical misadventure that I had at the beginning, I was like hyper vigilant. Like I, I am going to study everything and do everything in my power. If I get a second chance here, I am not going to to waste it. Was my my prayer to the universe, and to, right. you know, yeah, and, yeah. <clears throat> and so I started studying everything I possibly could, and I was hyper vigilant. And we set up a twenty four hour, you know, round the clock vigil with her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and much to the dismay of the hospital staff who tried to keep us out <laughs> no, no no show um and i was not leaving her side because she could die at any moment right in which she was not going to be alone if that was going to happen right right and, and then the next um few days she started to go downhill because when when blood and brain matter are mixed it causes massive inflammation so what you get at the beginning is not the whole story it gets worse and worse and worse and worse right okay. and so she started to go into a deep coma and then after three days they rushed her up into icu why she wasn't there i don't know from the first place mm. but in icu she had a lot more care so it was 24 7 around the clock care and in this time i'm studying every drug they're giving her what they're doing all of the ops right. and taking right. notes on everything and i couldn't do much in this critical setting right except learn and so I did, and I stayed by her, and I, you know, talked to her, and I, you know, we were encouraging her, and doing whatever we possibly could at that point, which wasn't a heck of a lot. These amazing doctors in the ICU managed to keep her alive and and keep her going, and then she had to have a second operation. She survived that, but then she had another stroke on the right side, so now she was paralysed on that right side as well. Oh my! After three weeks of this critical situation, she came out of the coma and she stabilised. Mm-hmm. And the doctors like they know that three weeks is a critical period for something like this, and you're, it looks like she's going to survive. Yeah. Um, but then she had massive brain damage, so she couldn't have. She had hardly any higher function. She was seventy-four years old, and she had mm-hmm. no idea who I was, what I was. Right, she right. She had a couple of single words that she could utter. She could move her her, her left arm, but she mm-hmm. couldn't really do it in any coordinated fashion. So she massive brain damage basically. And for the next couple of months, we were in the hospital system and we were transported back to New Plymouth. And in this time, I started studying things like uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and um, oxygen, what it does in the brain and so so on and so forth. And I had done a lot of racing at altitude in the Himalayas and I've had altitude sickness before. And I I, I was seeing signs of altitude sickness in my mum. And so I started to, my brain started to work and I started thinking, hmm, I don't think she's, I don't think she's breathing when she's asleep. And of course she was sleeping 18 hours a day. Mm. And um, I said, I want a sleep apnea assessment. I don't think she's breathing. I think she's stopping breathing at night right, and, right. when she's asleep. And they said, no, we're not doing a sleep apnea assessment. Why would we do that? So on and so forth. So I went and got an outside consultant, brought him into the hospital, smuggled him in one night, and we did right. this <laughs> We did this assessment, and it came back severe, severe sleep apnea. Oh, my. Her oxygen my stats were around, dropped at around 70%. So her SpO2, which is oh. measuring how much oxygen, which is deadly, right? And you're knocking off deadly. whatever, yeah. Yeah. You're knocking off whatever brain cells there were left to knock off, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so night after night after night, she's getting worse, right? And so after the, I, I, I showed them <coughs> their reports and finally they, they went, oh, okay, okay, and they put a sleep, CPAP machine on her and she started to have oxygen then 24-7 sort of thing around yeah. the clock. Yeah. Um, and so that was, a, that was my first one. And after that, she started to have a little bit of a spark of something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then 
and then I and then I had to fight to take her home because when you're older, they want to stick you into an institution and right, be done right. with you, get you out of their budget. You know, that's the way it is. Yeah. And so I had to really fight to get some resources to take her home so that I could look after her. Because in my mind, if I, it, no one was going to do as good a job as my family was going to do. Exactly. You know? That's right. And, and uh, she, I wanted her to know on some level, whatever there was of consciousness for her, that right. she was home, that she was loved, that she was surrounded right. by her loved ones. That's right. That, this was crucial, absolutely crucial mm -hmm. to me. And they mm -hmm. were like, she doesn't know anyway. Why are you worrying? Why are you? And I was like, no, I, and I want control of what yes. goes into her. Yes. And I want control of her food. And if I don't want somebody telling me, yeah, giving her sugary drinks and, you know, no, when, when no. she's in a home, you know. Um, yeah. So I fought like crazy to get her home. And we had this massive big meeting where we had all the doctors and nurses and therapists that had working with her. And that's the mm -hmm. family meeting. Mm -hmm. And we had this horrible social worker who was hell bent on getting her out of his life and into this institution. And he's running the meeting and he said, right, you will not speak until the end. And this is, you know, the doctors are going to say their piece and blah, blah, blah. And then you can ask questions at the end. And I'm sitting there with my brother. My brother, my brother looks like the rock, you know, Dwayne Dwayne yeah. Johnson. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's about to look alike. He's like, like Dwayne Johnson. Okay. <laughs> so he's sitting there and he's, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> I, I go to ask a question because the doctor said something and I was like, because I was fighting for resources is basically what was going on, right? And I'm fighting that she is going, you know, I am seeing improvements and they were saying she's she's never going to do anything. She's a waste of time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I was having this conversation with the doctor and the social worker says, you will not speak until the end and sit down. And my brother, <laughs> my brother got up <laughs> and he leaned across the table and he grabbed him by his shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my brother is very intimidating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he did, uh, you are going to sit down and shut up. And he used some other words, which we won't say here. Yeah. <laughs> and, from, and from yeah, And from now on, my sister is running the meeting and all of you are going to shut up and listen. And um, from that point on, I ran the meeting. And I got the results that I wanted. I got the resources wow. that I needed. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, you know, it's not appropriate, but it, I will do anything to protect my family. It's your family. You know? Absolutely. I mean, you know? wow, Lisa. I mean, just <laughs> resilience, tenacity, determination. And, and yeah, and, 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 a, and a brother <laughs> that, that looks intimidating. You yeah. know, uh, all, all key components and a true yeah. testament to your will, your spirit, you know, and, and it sounds like a lot of the mental toughness that you, that was required for you to endure those, um, oh, yeah. those ultra, you know, events and, and runs, you know, through terrain, weather, um, wildlife, it really, <laughs> you know, it did, it did, it really started. It, yeah. And like, we, I finally got it. So I finally got a home, right. To, yeah. to finish the, <laughs> the story. And, and the day I got a home, I, I'd, I'd, I'd been studying hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which by the way, people, if you have brain injuries, cancer, strokes, whatever, concussions, please check out hyperbaric oxygen therapy. It's a very underrated therapy because there's no money behind it. There's no pharmaceutical company behind it, mm -hmm. but it is powerful. And so I went to a dive center of all places because they had one of these chambers because they use it when divers get the bends and they had to have it. And um, I begged these people to be able to use their chamber and I, you know, presented them some evidence and my situation. And these wonderful people said, yes, you know, you sign a legal waiver and, you know, we'll make sure it's all safe and 
And so the day I got her out of the hospital, this very sick, fragile woman in a wheelchair is, you know, like completely out of it, taken down to this factory, stuck on a forklift and stuck into this yeah, chamber because that yeah. was the only way we could get her in. Mm-hmm. We, we did this for 33 treatments, <clears throat> excuse me, 33 treatments of five days a week, hour and a half a day. Amazing what these people did for us. And, and after that 33 treatments, my mum was starting to respond. Like she didn't just get up and walk. But she was starting to, you know, like it was a yeah. flicker of uh, uh, trying to move her hands, trying right. to trying to get up. Yeah. And and she had a couple more words, and she was, you know, I just like, oh my god, this is working. Yeah. And then I lost access because it had to be taken off on a contract. So then I went, oh god, obstacle. What do I do now? I, I need this chamber. It's obviously working. Mm-hmm. So then I mortgaged my house and I bought a hyperbaric chamber and I stored installed it in my house. All of which were not easy. And I um. I, I put her through treatment after treatment after treatment and, and a certain protocol from that I'd studied from a Dr. Harch in America who's an expert on this. And so and over time, my mum started to wake up and come back. And as she started to come back, I started to study everything else. So I studied epigenetics and functional genomics. I studied keto diet. I studied, you know, supplementation. I studied physio. I studied, uh, you know, um, vestibular system. I studied everything I could possibly study. As right. I came up against obstacles, I stayed one step ahead of her in her recovery. We had no support. Um, we had a couple of hours of, of support uh, for the first few weeks from a, a neurophysio, and that was fantastic because he gave me some exercises at least that I could do. Yeah. But um, apart from that, we were on our own, and it took me, long story short, so she went from being this baby who couldn't sit, who couldn't put food in her mouth, couldn't chew, didn't know who she was, to uh, a fully functioning, independent woman with a full driver's license, her full power of attorney back, going to the gym five days a week, walking four k's a day, hanging out with her family, um, you know, back to full recovery in two and a half years. That's absolutely outstanding. I mean, yeah. uh, back to the quality of life that, you know, that, that, that she yep. had, that she yeah. aspired to be. Yeah. And, 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 and that's through, again, your oh, tenacity, grit, your determination, man. your yeah. grit, <laughs> and it willing to brutal. knock down walls, right? Yeah, and, and like there were yeah. th- like we, you know what I'm missing there is the thousands and thousands of hours of retraining her brain and yes. like, so every day and I would have months with no success and no progress and people would say right. to me why are you doing this why are you yeah. pushing her so hard because it's not easy for her either you've got to remember this is really brutally hard training that she's going through because she's yes. trying to reconnect her brain. So it's frustrating as heck and it's, right. it would be so easy but for her to give up. But she, and it took her a year to really work out that this has happened to her, like until she had enough consciousness to really know what was happening to her. But yes. once she did, you know, she, she decided, well, I'm going to fight too. And my family are all fighting yes. with me. And, and I was running five companies at the stage because I'm an entrepreneur and I have d- different companies and I was, I was just running myself ragged, so I ended up nearly, you know, killing myself in the process. Literally, oh I ended up in, hosp- in and out of hospital yeah. because I was working all day with her, and then when she was asleep, I was working on my companies and trying to keep everything going. It's exhausting. Um, oh, it's just, yeah, it, I was exhausted, yeah. and I I aged probably ten years in, the, <laughs> in that time. And but and in the mix, I decided to write a book about this journey, which is this one here, Relentless. I don't know if you can see that. Very um, nice. And that's my beautiful mum there on the cover. Um, oh. And and this, but and, and that was a mission in itself, writing a book, which took me two years. But the thing was, I wanted to empower other families going through. Doesn't have to be the same 
you know, medical thing, but it, right, the, right. this belief, because we often are told that you're, you know, you're terminal or you're, you're never going to recover or that's it, you, you're done. And you know what? It's not true. They don't, right. it just means that doctor doesn't know. That right. doctor doesn't know. Right. If you, if, if, uh, the, the, the rate of change and the rate of studies that are coming out and the research that's going on is, is more than any single person can ever be across. So if you have one particular ailment and you go and study that particular ailment for a month, you can mm -hmm. be a bloody, quite an expert by the end of it, okay? Yeah, and yeah. So, and you can be way ahead of your local doctor who doesn't know about these things. And so what this has actually led me into now is that I now work with people. Um, so I got qualified in epigenetics. I do DNA testing. I help people with health journeys, and I help people optimize their 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 comeback. You know, de depending on what they're doing. And and right. we also work. One of my companies works with like we have seven hundred athletes that we train all around the world in running. Mm -hmm. But then we also have this health um, coaching side to what we do. And and I take on only a very few people because it takes quite a lot of resources. Sure. But I'm able to you know help people navigate the medical world because. You know, while we have these beautiful doctors and 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 people that are that are wanting to help us, we have to understand the limitations of our system and the right. way it's developed. Right. And so, the way it's developed is a very much a pharmacological model. There mm -hmm. is very is very much lacking on the whole health, holistic health, nutrition, or supplementation. All that side is just completely kiboshed in, 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 in mainstream medical. And and they're leaving a whole lot of stuff. Like things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy are just under appreciated and not utilized. And why is that? Even though there's clinical evidence and even though there's tons of studies and, and, and years and years and years of anecdotal evidence across so many things from cancer to brain injury. Right, right. Because there's no money in it. And so nobody's going to do the big clinical studies. There's been a couple of, you know, smaller ones, but the, yeah. because these things cost mega amounts. And when there's no money at the end of it, there's no impetus for uh, any company to take that up because you've got to understand how that's, that's not people even being evil. That's just, you know, when there's no money to why would you spend years doing clinical trials, something very difficult when there's no reward day at the end. It's just how it is. Yes. So what people need to understand is that you need to take from conventional medicine, but then you also need what is the latest because this is the other thing, Aubrey, is that from my experience, and I and I interview doctors, scientists all day long. That's what I do, you know, my podcasts and stuff. And I've been doing that for six years. They, without without exception, tell me some say seventeen years, some say twenty five years, but between seventeen and twenty five years behind the latest research. That's what you'll get in the clinic when you go to the hospital to your local doctor. They're about seventeen to twenty five years behind what is actually the cutting edge. Mm. And and that's because it hasn't. Some of this cutting edge stuff hasn't gone through its trials. Hasn't gone. Through. When you have someone who is dying or is in deep deep <clears throat> trouble, you do not have the luxury of waiting for clinical trials, and you no. have to do the best. You, unfortunately, Aubrey, we're going through now a cancer journey with my mum. Yeah, four, uh, yeah, four or five months ago, she started to have another drooper on the right side of the face. And I thought, oh, my God, she's having a stroke, rushed her into the hospital. I did a CT scan. They couldn't find anything, sent me home. Yeah. I went back in two days later, massive high blood pressure. There's something massively wrong. She's not neurologically not doing what she normally does. Mm -hmm. I was sent back home. They ignored me. 
I fought, I fought, I fought. I managed to get an MRI, and I, uh, the MRI came back and it showed this massive tumor on the left side of her brain and oh some other ones goodness. up the front. At that point, you know, panic again, and uh, I managed to get her under the top neurosurgeon in the country. He did the uh, emergency operation to take this big, the one big tumor that they could reach out, which was, you know, uh, a, a very big operation. We didn't know whether she'd survive. But incredible doctor and right, team, right. and they did it, and she came out of that, and then she started to improve. Now I had her on hyperbaric oxygen every day. I had her doing intravenous vitamin C, so she bounced back from that operation really, really quickly. Gotcha. And then, and then we came to the point where we knew that it was cancer when we got the diagnosis after the tumor was removed. Gotcha. And it's a lymphoma, and and it was mm -hmm. an aggressive B cell lymphoma terminal. And she, so all the doctors were saying to me, she's terminally ill there's no we could do high dose methotrexate that's the only thing that we could offer but gotcha. but that's you know that would kill her at her age so oh. get your affairs in order oh my and, gosh and yeah i went to that's... i went to mum i said to mum as we came out of the offices of, of these doctors time and time again mm -hmm. i said mum i want you to ignore what they said and they don't know the whole metabolic approach to cancer. They don't know about all this other side that I know about. Right, so right, you right. Ignore it. And, and she says, of course I don't believe them. I've never. Never, <laughs> I've never right. <laughs> they don't know you and they don't know your team. And yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they're just looking at what they have in their conventional tour books and telling me I'm, I'm stuffed. They don't know the other, other side. And I was like, mum, you're a legend. You know, you're not just a legend. You yeah, know, someone's yeah. just told you eternally and you just go, ah, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, gotcha. and I'm like going, fake it till you make it, right? You know, I'm just sure, like, sure. oh my God, I'm like, yeah. you know, now I'm responsible. Keep reading, again. keep studying. Yeah, keep reading, keep studying. Yeah. Um, came across um, the, the metabolic approach to cancer, which is basically, uh, there's, there's, there's a, a book called How to Starve Cancer by Jane McClellan. That was my first road book and I did her course in it. And it's all how to block the food supplies to different, to the tumor. So yes. um, things like sugar and carbs yes. feed cancer so if you are listening to this if you have cancer you should not and you should not be having carbs and, and sugar and things and then there's glutamine and there's other there's lots of other pathways there's a combination of off-label drugs that you can take that will block different pathways and so this book is about how to starve the cancer without starving the person and what to give them so we went a very strict keto diet exogenous ketones she's on <clears throat> about 150 pills a day both mm -hmm. supplements mm -hmm. and and off-label drugs like metformin, atavastatin, mebendazole, doxycycline. These are all repurposed drugs that block all these different pathways. She's on a daily regimen of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which, you know, we're lucky to have that. Um, and she has two to three times a week, very high dose intravenous vitamin C. In eight was a very, you know, hard, arduous routine. And she still has to train and do all the rest of it. Yeah, in, eight yeah. week, in eight weeks, though, before we, we even did anything conventionally, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the, the, in eight weeks, they did the MRI again and mm -hmm. the tumors were gone. Like not just the one that they took out, but Amazing. all the inflammation, Amazing. the tumors were gone. There's some residual inflammation where the major tumor was, so wow. we're still working on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that so that was the last MRI. Now we are not out of the woods because cancer is a tricky beast that can shape shift and change sure. yeah. what. And so I've mm -hmm. still thrown immunotherapy into the mix. I've put a very mild form of chemotherapy into the mix, which we're okay. on round three. Okay. But one that I'd searched out, I'd researched in conjunction with my 12 doctors that I work with, okay? So yes. 
I went out into the world. I've got a doctor, Dr. Lavali from Texas, Dr. Yurth from Colorado. <clears throat> I've got Dr. Hasami from Thailand. I've got mm-hmm. Joe McClelland in England. Mm-hmm. I've got a doctor in Nelson. I've got mm-hmm. and I've got doctors up the wazoo, right? <laughs> and and I have her under all of them. And why do I do that? It's because then I have a team of people who have different expertises and they've developed different protocols and they have different ideas. And then every time we have a milestone, I go back to all these doctors and I say, this is what's happening now. This is what's you know wrong with their yes. bloods or this is what yes. I'm seeing. What's your opinion? And then I take all of those opinions. So it's a full project management job. Sure, right? sure. it is. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I get each of their opinions again on every stage of the process and where they collide and where they agree on and where they, that, that's, that's the protocol that I then take and then use. Right. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> to the best of my ability and, and using my own intuition. And I now have a, a quite a big understanding of biochemistry and, and, and mechanism of action of different things. So I make that decision based on my clinical observation of her day to day and what I'm seeing. And, you know, I'm chucking mud at the wall and, and, and all of us are in a way because we, you know, you can't, I can't look inside her brain every day to find out how am I doing, but I just have the approach of every day we do the work every day. We take these steps and we yep. do what needs to be done and we That's stick right. to this very strict diet, which is yep. really hard for her because she loves the food. Yes. Um, yes. But now, you know, like she is, she is back to walking and going to the gym and having her, her grandchildren around and, and, and loving life again. And she's back to her normal self, you know, because before the tumor operation, she was gone. She'd regressed right. massively. So she right. was like a baby again. Yeah. So I've seen my baby, my mum go from being like a baby to an adult, being like a baby back to an adult. Oh, I can, I, and wow. this is an age of 80, Aubrey. She's 80. Amazing. So you imagine if you have got a brain injury and you're 30 or you're 20 or you're 40 and you're listening to this or you've got cancer, you, this is empowering stuff. You know? Oh, it is. Yeah. No. And that's regardless of the outcome, it, you know. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's inspirational. It totally is inspirational, you know. And and you and your mother have come such a long way. And, and, and I have to commend you for your tenacity. And I love my mom. And, yeah, yeah, and you love your mom. I mean, it's a daughter's love, right? And so, yeah. um, and and so, you know, I I understand you are not out of the woods yet. So, yeah. hopes and we, thoughts yeah. and prayers to you and your family for sure, Lisa. Um, and and as and, and I'm sorry, but as we as we wrap up, I wanna I wanna ask you how can how can the listeners learn more about you, connect with you, learn about the great work that you're doing and helping others uh, as well as listen to your podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Aubrey, for the opportunity. I really appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to hopefully having you on my show. Um, My website is just Lisa Tamati. It's T-A-M-A-T-I.com. You can put that in the show notes, perhaps. The book is called Relentless and it is up Mm -hmm. on Amazon. It's called Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds. And it's, you know, these two ladies on the cover, uh, a blue book. And, And, um, I do work with people one-on-one. Um, okay. I don't work with a ton of people. I also, we, my company, we also do epigenetic testing. And, and I love genetics because when you understand how your genes work and what, you, what genes you have, then yeah. you can optimize your environment to them. This, this is not deterministic. This is why it's epigenetics. Sure, sure. Epi means above. So this is like, okay, you've got these genes, some of them good, some of them not so great. Right. Uh, but 
we can put you in the right environment, the right food, the right exercise, the right times of the day, the right circadian rhythms, the right environment for your, mm-hmm. your, your brain, your work, all that. Mm-hmm. And then we can optimize you based on that information, right? And so I love the epigenetics and the DNA testing programs that I, that I run. Um, I think you know, we're so lucky to live in a day and age where we can have a peek into our, our, our operating manual, you know? Yes, yes. And where up until now we've sort of been running without any, any um, knowledge of what our operating manual was all about. Now we yeah. have that and we can actually put ourselves in the right environment to flourish and to live healthy, long lives. So I'm yes. all about longevity. I'm all about anti-aging and optimizing what we have and never giving up you know the mindset yes. piece of the puzzle is, is also huge I, I have a mindset course as well an online gotcha. course so nice thank you yep let's nice. where everybody can find me and i'm on instagram of course and, and on instagram you, you, yeah and youtube okay. i have a big youtube youtube channel, channel? yep okay um, so everybody. we will hey we'll make sure and include all those links the link to the book the podcast your instagram and your youtube channel and more uh, and your website on the episode show notes. So Thanks. man, that's fantastic. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a truly a pleasure uh, learning about you, connecting with you, and thank you for the insights that you've shared with uh, with my listeners based on your experiences. Thank you, Aubrey. What you're doing is just a fabulous thing. So I really, really appreciate you and the work you're doing. And um, I feel like I've made a new friend. <laughs> oh, likewise. I feel like I made a new friend as well. Lisa, thanks again. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. If you have a loved one or a colleague who appears to be down and out um, with no direction, no way to turn, they feel like they're at the end of their rope, I humbly ask that you share this show with them. And the reason why is because on the road to rediscovery, we want our listeners to know two things. Number one, you're not alone. And number two, there is always hope. The Road to Rediscovery, it's a movement, a revolution. And guess what? You are now part of it. We're all roadies on this journey of life. And it sure feels good having you on the road with me. Thanks again for listening. We'll chat again soon. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of The Road to Rediscovery. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at roadsrediscoverypodcast at gmail.com and leave us any questions or comments you may have. The Road to Rediscovery is an AJ Shark production.